Christ is the gate into wisdom, onto the wise path. You cannot live a life of wisdom without going in and through Christ and living in Christ your entire life. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of Watch Where You Step. Last time, we were reminded that there are really only two ways to live according to the Bible, as a wise person or as a foolish person. In fact, Tom emphasized that you're either living for God or you're living for yourself, the world, or the devil. There are no other alternatives. Well, thankfully, God provides the way for you to live as a biblically wise person, and it begins with pursuing His perfect will. But where do you begin the pursuit, and how do you know what God's will is? Let's join Tom and find out today on The Word Unleashed. We were driven by our fallen bodies and minds. We were pursuing the desires that they create, and we gave ourselves to those pursuits. And many people are driven by the desires of the flesh. There's a third influence in the lives of many people. It's the will of Satan. In, first, excuse me, in 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul, writing to Timothy, says that the elders need to be willing to help and able to help those who are locked in error that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, the trap of the devil. Listen, having been held captive by him to do his will. People who are locked into false religious systems and philosophies and ideologies are driven by Satan himself. They are driven by his will and his ideas. In other words, when you look at those three influences, As we learned in Ephesians 2, the major influences in the lives of unbelievers are the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you're not living God's way, then you are under the control of one or more of those things. You are living the life of a fool. You know, people say, listen, I'm not going to go in for this or that because I'm my own person. You heard that? I'm my own person. No, you're not. Nobody's his own person. That's the point of the Scripture. You're either God's man or you're the devil's man, but you're not your own person. You are the slave of somebody. It's either God or the devil, but you are not your own person. Don't be foolish. Don't live like you used to live and like unbelievers live under the power and influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Then he turns positive. Notice verse 17. So then do not be foolish, don't live like that, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now notice the comparisons in this passage. Back in verse 15, he says a person is either unwise or they're wise. And then in verse 17, he doesn't use the word wise. He uses the word foolish, but not the word wise. Instead, he says, we are either foolish or, and we expect him to say wise, but he says or we understand the will of the Lord. So let's track with his point here. To be foolish is simply to fail to understand God's will, and to be wise is to understand it and to do it. 
So you either understand and do the will of God, or you're a spiritual fool. The Greek word translated understand here, understand the will of the Lord, means to comprehend. It means to gain insight into something. You see, God has already made his will known. We are called to understand it. Paul here wasn't speaking like a a Greek primarily. He was speaking like a Hebrew. He's not talking about a mental grasp of the will of God, an intellectual understanding, but he's talking about understanding it with an eye to doing it. As Harold Honer writes in his excellent commentary, this understanding is more than just the understanding of facts. It is an intelligent grasp of knowledge that has resulting consequences. By the way, this word understand in the original language is in the present tense. It's a command in the present tense. It's something that we are to continually be doing. So in other words, Paul is saying this, make it your constant preoccupation to understand the will of God. To keep from being foolish, we have to understand and do the will. Notice he says, the will of the Lord. Now in Scripture, sometimes we have a reference to God's will. Here specifically it says the Lord's will. The word Lord is used a number of times in Ephesians, and it is always, without exception, referring to Jesus Christ. So here he's saying, I want you to understand the will of your Lord, that is Jesus Christ. What does he mean, understand the will of Christ? Well, we need to back up here. I need to give you a little explanation. Whenever Scripture speaks of God's will, and this is very important, listen carefully. Whenever Scripture speaks of God's will, it is primarily referring to one of two concepts. The first concept is, it can be God's moral will. God's moral will. This is sometimes called by theologians the will of precept or the will of command. This is God's will. When we talk about God's moral will, we're talking about his commands, his laws that express his moral will for us. The laws he lays down for creatures that demand obedience. God's moral will is contained in the commands of Scripture. Man can choose to obey them, he can choose to disobey them, but there they are. This is God's moral will. It's like the will of of kings on earth. They make their laws. Their subjects can either obey them or disobey them, but those laws express their will. Here you have the moral will of God. These are his laws. He doesn't force obedience to them. He lays them out, and we choose to obey them or disobey them. There's a second concept when the expression the Lord's will or God's will occurs can mean not only God's moral will, but secondly, God's sovereign will. This is sometimes called by theologians the will of decree. It refers to the eternal, immutable plan of God, which is always, without exception, carried out in human history. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, defines it like this, the eternal plans of God, whereby before the creation of the world, he determined to bring about everything that happens. Every detail he decided how it would fall out. That's his sovereign will. Sometimes scripture is speaking of his moral will. Sometimes it's speaking of his sovereign will. Now look back at Ephesians 5. In verse 17, 
Paul is not talking here about God's sovereign will, about whether you remain single or married, or marry, or whether uh, if, if you're going to marry, God's will about whom you will marry, or where you would live, or what your career would be. When Paul refers to the will of God here, he's talking about God's will for us that is clearly revealed in his word. That'll become clear in just a moment. There are choices God clearly commands in Scripture. There are others He clearly forbids. This is God's moral will. All of Scripture is God's moral will. That is, His commands for us, His will for us. But it's interesting because when you start talking about God's moral will, the New Testament specifically identifies several things as God's will for you and me. You know, I have people ask me all the time, you know, about God's will. Well, let me tell you what God's will for you is. You ready? The Bible's very clear. Here's God's will for you. Number one, God's will is for you to experience salvation. 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires, literally will, now this isn't his sovereign will because not everyone will be saved. This is his moral will. This is his command. He wills all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's God's will for you? to turn from your sin and to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's the second thing that's God's will for you. It's service, or we could say self-sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will for you that you not live for yourself once you experience salvation, that you live for Him, that you offer yourself up as a sacrifice to live for the one who loved you and gave Himself for you, as Paul says. A third part of God's will for you is submission to authority, the authorities God has put in your life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's God's will for you to humble yourself, put yourself under the authorities He's put in your life. That's God's will. God's will is for your sanctification, for you to be progressively made more like Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You don't have to ask about what God's will is. This is God's will. God's will for you is thanksgiving, a life of thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we could probably want to leave this last one off, but suffering, some degree of suffering in this world. 1 Peter 3.17, God, if God should will it, you should suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. God may determine to take us through suffering of various kinds. That's God's will for you. You say, what is God's will? There it is. That's God's will. You say, wait a minute. What about all those decisions that aren't mentioned in the Bible? You know, things like my education and my career and whether or not I should marry and whether or not to buy a house and which house and where to live. Well, Scripture also lays down guiding principles about those specific decisions that we need to make. For example... The Bible nowhere tells us who to marry. At least I hope you didn't use the Bible like a sort of Ouija board, you know, like I've seen some people do. Sort of just close their eyes, point to a passage, and say, that's what God wants me to do. There's some names in there you probably wouldn't want to consider marrying, even if you met them. (laughs) 
Mahershalal Hashbaz probably wouldn't be a husband you ladies would want. The Bible doesn't say whom to marry, but it does say that the person you marry, if you're a Christian, must be a believer and must not be living in a pattern of unrepentant sin because we're not even supposed to, to fellowship with a Christian, someone who professes to be a Christian who's living in, a, in unbroken sin. It also, the Bible gives us specific character qualities that God values in men and God values in women. That should help shape our decision. What about those issues that aren't addressed directly in Scripture, those things we call issues of conscience? Well, while the Bible doesn't tell us what choice to make, as we saw in Romans 14 a year or so ago, it lays out clear principles for how to make those decisions. So then all those decisions that are not addressed directly by the Scripture We are to come to the Scripture and see if the Scripture does speak to them in any way, and then we are to use godly wisdom to make that decision. We're to seek counsel from others in a multitude of counselors, their safety. We're to consider what would bring God the most glory. We're to look at wisely at our own gifts and skills and abilities and financial situation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're to make, we're to pray for God's wisdom and direction, and then we're to make a decision. But God, listen to me, God is not going to tell you what decision to make on those things, whether through some fleece or through some hoop you ask him to jump through, or whether through some subjective feeling. You know, I hear a lot of Christians say, well, I'm looking for peace. Listen, God didn't promise to direct your life that way. God has spoken to you ultimately and finally in a book. And your job is to discern and know his mind here and then to make wise decisions from there. If you want to read more about this issue, and you young people particularly who are looking at what do I do in life, what, who should I marry, and all those big decisions, and for many of the rest of you, I would recommend to you Gary Friesen's book, Decision-Making in the Will of God. Decision-Making in the Will of God. It is in the top 10 books of books that have influenced me in my own life, and I would highly recommend it to you. Now, go back again to Ephesians 5.17. Understand then, Paul is here not commanding us to understand God's sovereign will. He's, under, he's commanding us to continually be pursuing an understanding of God's revealed will, his moral will, his commands as laid out in the Word of God. But how? How do we do that? Well, understand, you really have to begin with this foundational affirmation. The source of all true wisdom is whom? God. Okay, God, Job 12, 13, with him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Proverbs 21, 30, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. So if all true wisdom comes from God, here's the $64 million question, how does he give us that understanding? How does it get from God to us? Well, there are three primary means, and I want to finish our study today by letting you very practically understand how to get to the wisdom of God and see it incorporated into your own life. Three primary means by which you and I can receive the wisdom of God, this understanding of His will, His revealed will. Number one, through an understanding of the Word of God. Through an understanding of the Word of God. Turn back to Deuteronomy. I love this text. Deuteronomy 4, Moses is giving a series of speeches on the plains outside of the promised land just before the people are going to march in and take Jericho. And he gives them a reiteration of God's law as it was given at Sinai. 
And listen to what he says to them. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So we're talking about God's statutes and judgments commanded through Moses. So we're talking about God's word. Verse 6. So keep and do, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Verse 8, what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? He said, you want wisdom? You want understanding? Embrace the Scripture. Embrace the Word of God that's been revealed to you. This is the constant message of Scripture. Psalm 19, verse 7, the testimony of the Lord. That's a synonym for God's Word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's Word will take the naive person who is open to everything spiritually and will make him spiritually wise. Psalm 111, verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do. Look at Psalm 119. Of course, all of Psalm 119 exalts the Word of God. We could go through it all, but I just want you to see two verses. Psalm 119, verse 98. Your commandments, talking about the Scripture again, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight, more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies, your word, is my meditation. It's not rocket science, folks. God grants us His wisdom through His revealed word. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, says, You know, from childhood, you've had the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings, talking about the Old Testament, which is what? Is able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation that is in Jesus Christ. The scripture, it gives us the wisdom of God. That's the source. If you want to live a wise life, listen carefully to me. If you want to live a wise life, you have to be willing to turn from your loved and cherished independence. You have to be willing to give up your own ideas about what's right in every area of life, what Proverbs 14, 12 calls the ways that seem right to a man. And instead, you must embrace God's way revealed in His Word. William Hendrickson, the great Presbyterian commentator, puts it well when he says, do not depend on your own acumen. Do not regard the advice of other people as the ultimate touchstone of the truth. Let the will of your Lord as He has revealed it by the means of His own word and example and by the mouth of His chosen messengers be your standard and guide. You want to be wise? It's found right here. That's the source of the wisdom of God. There's a second means through which we're granted the wisdom of God, and that's through our requests for wisdom in prayer. Through our requests for wisdom... You remember the Lord's Prayer? I won't have you turn there, but Matthew 6, verse 10. You remember what Jesus taught us to pray? The third of the six sort of categories of prayer. He said, pray this. Let your will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven. Now, he wasn't talking about God's sovereign will, because guess what? God's sovereign will is done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about God's revealed will. 
Because that's what's not done on earth as it's done in heaven, primarily. Okay, so he's saying, I want you to pray, God, let your revealed will be done here, that is, in my heart, in the life of my family, in the life of my church, in the life of your people, in the life of the people I work with, as in heaven. So pray that God would grant that wisdom. It's not enough just to have God's wisdom and to read it. There are plenty of people who read the Bible from time to time who don't gain God's wisdom. It takes the work of God enlightening the mind. So pray for that enlightenment. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul prays this for the church in Colossae. Colossians 1 verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be, listen to this, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, I'm praying that you will get it, that you'll understand the word of God. So through the word of God and through prayer. Thirdly, through Christ. Through Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. By his doing, we are in Christ Jesus who has been made to us, what? the wisdom of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, in Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, Christ is the gate into wisdom, onto the wise path. You cannot live a life of wisdom without going in and through Christ and living in Christ your entire life. Now, there's, as we close our time, there's one passage that brings it all together. I want you to see it. Turn with me to Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, and we'll be done. Verse 6. Proverbs 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. Okay? He's the source. He's the one who gives it to us. How? From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. As Derek Kidner said, wisdom comes by revelation. God speaks and gives us his wisdom. But how do we mine the wisdom that is found in God's Word. How do I get the wisdom that's here into my mind and into my heart and into my life? Well, notice verse 6 begins with the word for. It's connected to a larger context. Go back to verse 1. You want God's wisdom to become yours? How do you approach the Scripture? Here's how you should. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. So we're talking about words, commandments, receiving them, treasuring them. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, seek it out. And then comes prayer. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If, and, and then here comes the diligence with which all this is to be done. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures... If all your heart is in the pursuit of biblical wisdom in the Word of God, if you cry out to God for understanding, if you search this Word as if you were searching for hidden treasures and for silver, and you cry out to God to open your mind to understand it, if you seek her as silver and you search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Notice it's an if then. Verse 1, if Verse 3, if. Verse 4, if. Verse 5, then. So only to the one who approaches the Word of God like that, with that spirit, with that disposition, with that 
diligence, with that spirit of dependence crying out that God would open our hearts and minds to understand it, only to that person does the wisdom of God become clear and then manifest in the life. And by the way, you don't just get an ordered life of wisdom. Notice verse 5. Here's the real end. You get God himself. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Watch Where You Step. Tom will continue with part five on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.